0: part News Daily. Thanks for being here. Excited to present to you these two segments from today's show. That's on Sirius XM Patriot every day from 6 to 9 Eastern. So we kicked off with a reporter in Jerusalem giving us an on-the-ground report. And then we talked about uh, this, this military tactic that Israel is using right now in Gaza City, or Gaza, the Gaza Strip, that the left is appalled by. Just appalled but they don't use the word that is the tactic that they don't use the one word. Cause I think if they use, I know if they use the word, then people would say, Oh, well, that's a, that's a thing that's been around for a long time, but then they can't use the word because they need to make it seem uniquely cruel. What Israel is doing. So we talk about that in this segment and then we'll play after this, we'll play an interview we did with a former Navy SEAL and force recon Marine. He did both overachiever. Uh, and we talk about the, the near, if not complete impossibility of rescuing 199 hostages out of an incredibly dense urban environment. What, what could Navy SEALs do in that situation? I don't even see how it's possible. And we get some insight from him, that's next. But first, uh, the, because it's so difficult, uh, in the meantime, Israel is doing this military tactic. Here it is. 99 hostages held by Hamas. No way of knowing how many are still alive. Hamas just, oh, I mean, we can't count that high. I want to share this here because this is a good follow-up to what we talked about yesterday. We spent a good amount of time yesterday talking about the beheading of people, but as a metaphor about how beheading people is the norm of human existence. And when we return to it, it should not be shocking. It should not be a surprise. We should all be shocked and surprised that we have ever lived in an era where beheading is not a part of life. But there should be no surprise when we return to it. This is what people have always done for all time everywhere around the world. There's nothing new under the sun. So get mentally prepared We're not just beheading, but all things like it to return again. We have lived in a short blip of history. And we happen to be geographically isolated from a lot of this stuff. But it will all come back to what has always been. So when I first heard people shocked, can you believe Hamas beheaded babies? Yes, of course I can believe it. You know, in the French Revolution, they beheaded 17,000 people in one year. They beheaded 17,000. So, yeah, I can believe that people were beheaded. This is what people do. Of course, I'm not saying it's okay, but don't be shocked by it. And get ready for all forms and all types of barbarism to return. Because barbarism is the norm now again it's not just beheadings beheadings is a metaphor for all things that people find shocking and brutal because we live in a sanitized time that's i mean it's not just war and with everything we we live in a sanitized life sanitized era sanitized culture a sanitized country it's sanitized every, like everything no, no kids today is a quick diversion. I'll get back to Israel, but no kids today know where food comes from. And the kids don't know what food is that you show them food like a, like a, a vegetable. And they won't tell you what it is. They don't know. They don't know how it's grown. They don't know how long it takes. There's no context for how long food takes to grow. They don't, they don't know food. And no kids today have ever killed a chicken. Now, I bet amongst the uh, Breitbart News Daily audience, it's actually quite a bit of people <laughs> listening now whose kids have indeed killed a chicken. Probably, there's probably more more people listening now who have killed a chicken with their own hands on Sirius XM Patriot than any other station on Sirius XM. Is there a farming? I guess there's a farm station. It's like an ag station, maybe. So maybe we're number two. But if you've never killed a chicken in your life and you see someone grab a chicken, turn it upside down, grab its head, extend its neck and twist it and break its neck and the animal flaps, it's quite uncomfortable. If you've never seen that before and you see someone do that, it's like, Ooh, I don't, I don't care for that. And if you showed that process to Americans who have lived a sanitized life, like almost everyone, everyone would look away and squirm. And if you gave them the chance to do it themselves, almost no one would say they want to do that. And killing a chicken, like, like, like no people have ever been able to live their life without ever killing a chicken. Like that's how you would eat. You, or what else are you going to do? So we are so sanitized with everything. We're sanitized with food. We're sanitized. Oh, so so not only killing it, you have to kill the chicken with your bare hands and then you have to take off the feathers and you got to, like there's like a whole, you got to clean that, you got to cut it open. We don't do that. No one does that anymore, ever. We're just, we're disconnected to reality in so many ways. Death is another one, just death of family members. We're, we don't we don't deal with that. We send old people to nursing homes and uh, the, the palliative care or whatever the, the places are called. We send them away, and then we wait for a phone call. We, we just send people to go die way over there. That never used to be the case. But back in the day, you die in the house. Everyone, the kids and the grandkids, everyone was there, and you just, everyone gets sick and they die in the house, and you're around death. No one's around death anymore that we have this strong desire in our culture today to remove all pain, remove discomfort, remove difficult things from our lives. And there's a huge cost to that. Yes. Of course, hard things are hard and difficult things are hard and uncomfortable things are uncomfortable, but there's goodness to that too. There's good things that come from that. And you remove those difficult things and there's a, there's a cost to that. Yes. I like going to the grocery store and just having cleaned up chicken ready (laughs) Ready to cook. But you, like, I'm not like, oh, I wish I could wring a chicken's neck today. Like, right. But you lose something when you don't ever raise and kill a chicken to eat. You lose gratitude. You lose a connection with the food you eat. You lose a connection with God. Because right, like, you just think food just comes from, like, manna from heaven just appears. You lose gratitude for other people who are play a role in your food. Like, you lose a lot when you live in a sanitized world. And generations and generations go by with this prosperity and sanitation. And we become, we become a completely different people. Very weak. We become a weak people. And then when difficult things happen, we're shocked. Oh, what? But like, honestly, people have that. And I'll get off the food thing. People have that same reaction with what Hamas is doing when, when someone kills a chicken by wringing its neck. Oh, Oh, I can't say, I can't look. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? Like, all right, here's why I bring this up. There's a video going around from CNN. This is proof of Israel and the West's cruelty and callousness towards human life. Starts off with a CNN anchor, and then the guy he's talking to is uh, a former U.S. general who's like like a CNN war correspondent guy
1: does that mean um you say does that mean starve the palestinian people continue to because they will be so hungry and will be so desperate for water and medicine that then they will give up hamas it sounds callous
2: but i mean this is a war
0: i I, i'm i cannot believe that well of course i can believe it that clip is unreal to me absolutely incredible so again Israel has cut off power food water medicine etc to the Gaza strip. Listen listen to the 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 incredulity just the what they're doing what to the people in the Gaza strip? Hear this again, and then I'll, I'll give my answer to this reporter's question.
1: Does that mean, um, you say, does that mean starve the Palestinian people? Continue to, because they will be so hungry and will be so desperate for water and medicine, that then they will give up Hamas?
0: Yes, Charlie, it's called a siege. It's called a siege. This has been a military strategy for thousands of years. People think that siege means attack. It doesn't siege is a blockade. A siege is a blockade or specifically the surrounding of a city or a fortress or a castle to starve them out. That's what siege means. It comes from the Latin word, meaning to sit, you sit. You wait, you starve them out. So people inside this area called the Gaza Strip, people inside this area killed thousands of our people from Israeli's perspective. So we are going to create a blockade of food and water and electricity to make life so miserable that they give up and they hand over the hostages. That they've taken, they hand over 199 Israelis, but then also, they're terrorists, and then, and then when we win, they lose. We win. We will give them food and water and electricity back. It's a very simple, Charles. Called a siege. It's old as time. Or I don't know. As old as castles. As long as a castle has ever existed, there's been a siege. If an invading army can't assault the castle walls, they just surround it and wait. The people can't farm anymore. There's no more food, no more supplies. If we see how long they can wait it out. Sometimes it goes on for years. Uh, there's a more famous one because, because men think about the Roman empire once a week on average. We'll share one from Julius Caesar. Uh, Julius Caesar, when he was a general, was the, the Gallic Wars, Eight years, eight years expanding Roman ter- territory into what we now know as, as the Roman Empire. It ended in the Battle of Elysia, Alesia, A L E S I A. The Battle of Alesia, and there was a lot of tribes in this area called Gaul, it's now France. And Caesar was able to kind of pit them all against each other and stay in control over all of them. But but one man, one man was able to unite them all together, and against. against Caesar. It was uh, Vercingetorix, versingatorix g. It's a g. Versingatorix. It means uh, leader of the warriors, versingatorix. And they had a couple battles, but it ended in the siege of Alesia, this town in northern France today. And versingatorix thought he had the upper hand because he had more men than Caesar and he had the high ground in this fortified city but caesar sieged the town wouldn't let anyone in or out but the reason versicatorix thought he had the upper hand really is because he already sent out men to go tell the allies to come and attack caesar's men from behind right so you got versicatorix on the top of this mountain and then or hill just wasn't that high of a ground but it's a ground and then you got caesar surrounding it ha ha we got you and then Versicatorix's allies are going to come from behind Caesar and be like, no, we got you. And they did come, but not enough of them. And Caesar's army fought him off, and then they gave up. And this siege was two weeks. And there was this, this epic scene where Versicatorix came out on his horse to meet Caesar personally. And dramatically, Versicatorix took off his armor and laid, laid his sword down at Caesar's feet. We don't know what happened. We don't know if there was like a, a begging for mercy. or We don't know exchange that took place, but there was a laying of his sword down at Caesar's feet around the besieged fortress. So the point is for Hamas to give up these hostages. That would be the equivalent of laying their sword down at Caesar's feet. But then, what did Caesar do? All right, so the enemy comes out to you, lays his sword down in front of you. What do you do? do? This is the guy who just led this uprising, revolt, united all these tribes together against you. What do you do? I think in today's, today's world, it'd be, oh, I forgive you and, Come here, you come live in Rome now. Go, right? Whatever, like like. Oh, bring all your people and in, into Rome. Now Caesar threw him in prison for six years, and then beheaded him. So no mercy was shown. It's funny. It's not that there was no mercy shown even after he gave up. There was no mercy shown when he gave up, because that was the point of the war, was for him to give up. I, like It's very fascinating. So this, this sorry, human nature is so interesting. When you hear the story of Julius Caesar doing something 2,000 years ago, it's fine. Oh, they came and they it's, it's sieged and then and then uh, cut the guy's head off. It's like a movie or a fairy tale or something. We're very emotionally distant from it. But the thought of Israel doing this to Hamas ter- terrorists, it's unfathomable. Oh, the evil. Oh, they pure evil if they would ever do such a horrible thing. CNN says, you mean to tell me they're starving civilians? Yes, that's exactly what they're doing. It's 100% exactly the point of what they're doing. And I feel like a lot of people have to like tiptoe around. Like, oh, well. Oh, no. They're not. They're not. They don't want to starve the civilians. It's like, no, that's that's the siege. That's what it is. The longest siege ever was when the Moroccans... Blockaded uh, a city held by the Spanish. It was in uh, sixteen, late sixteen hundreds. It was thirty years. It's a thirty year siege. I don't know how the people inside the city made it for thirty years, but it was a thirty years. And the leader of Morocco by the name, his name was Ismail ibn Sharif. Oh, he was Muslim. He was a Muslim guy. I thought Muslims have never heard of a siege. I thought I thought Muslims have never heard of conquest in their lives. It's so inhumane. They would never, Muslims around the world would never do such a thing. Also, why does the Gaza Strip have no power plant? What's that about? Why do they have no water of their own? They can't build a well? They can build miles and miles of tunnels underground. They can't build a well or whatever power plant or a desal plant or something. They can't. (laughs) Either the Palestinians are, are that stupid to allow Israel to have total control over their power and water supply, which would be a quite stupid tactical mistake. Or Israel has kept control over their power and water supply as leverage for just a time as this. In which case, that's a really smart move for israel but don't be fooled by the incredulity (gasps) by this by this right here
1: because they will be so hungry and will be so desperate for water and medicine that then they will give up hamas
0: yes News Daily. Here is former Navy SEAL, Force Recon Marine about rescuing these hostages, 199 of them. How do we get them? Mike Sorelli is here, former Navy SEAL and Force Recon Marine founder and CEO of Talent War Group. Mike, how you doing, brother?
2: I'm doing well, bro. Thanks for having me.
0: Really grateful you're here. First of all, excuse my ignorance. How can one be a Navy SEAL and a Force Recon Marine? How can you do both those things?
2: Uh, a lot of bad uh, life choices. Uh, so I enlisted in the Marine Corps, uh, became a, uh, a recon Marine and a scout sniper, and then eventually uh, the Marine Corps sent me back to school to finish my education. Again, that's how awesome uh, our military is, the most educated uh, military in the history of man. And during that time, uh, while finishing my degree, I made the decision because the war kicked off to switch over to the SEAL teams, and everything worked out.
0: Crazy. Um, what is the difference between the two? Uh, and I asked that as it relates to what we're gonna talk about here with rescuing hostages, but what do the two do that's different?
2: So when we refer to both uh, recon Marines and uh, Navy SEALs, you're talking about what we refer to as wipes off. Um, And uh, really Marine Recon is uh, built and designed for the reconnaissance mission in support of uh, Marine forces. Uh, SEALs have a combination of skills both from special reconnaissance to direct action raids, but usually hostage rescues are handled by an element called the joint special operations command, um, the elite within the elite. And, um, they are equipped and, uh, and trained for, for such missions.
0: Out of the seals or both It's a combination of all guys.
2: Uh, you know, the joint special operations command has uh, people from all services that make up
0: those, uh, those, those forces. Okay. So going in and rescuing a hostage, that to me sounds like the most difficult thing a person or group of people could be asked to do. I I can't fathom something more difficult. Now, obviously there's a ton of different variables depending on where, who, et cetera, et cetera. Can you help us understand what some of those difficulties could be that a mere civilian like myself would never even Consider what, what is so difficult about rescuing a hostage?
2: Well, first let me talk about the men who, who conduct these missions. Uh, one, I, I basically, uh, been to support other people, the guys that went forward and did these types of things, um, they are highly trained. Um, and there is no more complicated, difficult mission than hostage rescue. And these individuals that actually prosecute or execute, uh, hostage rescues, uh, understand that they're putting their lives uh, on the line and, if need be, in the way to protect the hostages once they locate them. Where hostage rescue becomes complex is it's really an intelligence community drill uh, up to the point of where they pass it off to the group that actually goes in and uh, rescues the hostages. They need to find and locate where the hostages are, and that is the most difficult piece. And then understanding uh, the defense's uh, the posture of the enemy forces holding the uh, hostages. Once that's uh, located, uh, enough planning is conducted. Uh, it is a precision uh, operation to move as quickly as possible um, and, uh, and and you know uh, get uh, custody of the uh, the hostages. What makes this so complex is from what I've seen, you know maybe a, a handful of, of hostages, you know one, three, four, maybe up to ten. 199, they're most Definitely located in multiple locations throughout Mm. Gaza, which makes this even more complex. Because if you have a, as as you may say, a bead on where 50 hostages are, it's a decision of do we want to go rescue those 50? Because what does that mean for the other 150? We execute this, are we condemning condemning them to their uh, their demise? So, you know, Israel and the U.S. Are, are most likely working hand in hand, especially the intelligence communities, to gather as much information as they can, coming up with a plan that gets as many hostages in uh, in one operation. Uh, but this will be a long struggle. And again, with hostage rescue, we are bringing our ho- people home, uh, whether dead uh, or alive.
0: What a great point about if you rescue some, what does that mean for the rest? You'd have to do it all at one time. But that, like, what is that? You can't. So let's talk about the intel. Never thought about that, of course. How can one get that intel? How could you find out where they are? And then like, like, like generally where they are, then specifically where they are. And then you mentioned the posture of the enemy forces. What, what different types of postures can an enemy have? And how, again, how do you find that?
2: You know, we we usually refer to the terms as a uh, hard target or soft target. Um, you know, what what are the defenses? How many soldiers or any uh, combatants are on the, uh, the location? Where are they located? How uh, accessible is the uh, the terrain? Uh, do we have routes in that maintain uh, you know surprise and speed of uh, of action? Uh, there's a lot of things that go into it, but the intelligence community collects, as we say, uh, information through multiple layers of intelligence. That's from u- humans. To technology, to aerial aerial assets overhead, um, it is a combination of all those. The more uh, layers or you know, multiple layers of intelligence you can layer on top of a uh, an assessment, uh, the better it, it, it lay, layer aids to the uh, the credibility uh, of the intelligence picture that they provide to the forces that ultimately uh, prosecute the hostage rescue. Yeah,
0: but that's how how much can you know? And I mean, I mean this genuinely. When the seals go in or joint special operations, when they go in to rescue a hostage, what what percentage of all the information that one could know, do they know? Does that make sense? So like uh, when I walk into my kitchen later, I am going to have 100% of the information about where everything is, who's there, and the posture of my children when I walk in. I have 100% of the picture. When someone goes in to rescue a hostage, what percentage of the picture do you think they have or do, would you need before you say, uh, okay, we're doing this?
2: So that's the beauty of the men and women in special operations. This is how they are designed, uh, built to operate in what we call a built environment, volatility, uncertainty, uh, chaos, and ambiguity. So in the military, especially special operations, you don't get the luxury of 100% sight picture uh, of 100% of the information you've got to make decisions based off sometimes 60% of the uh, the intelligence picture. And you've got to be decisive in that decision. Um, and with hostage rescues, sometimes speed is is, is an element. Um, I'll give you an example. When uh, Bo Bergdahl was taken in Afghanistan, forces were conducting uh, hostage rescues based off limited information. If they thought that he was in a certain location, they launched forces to go uh, conduct a raid on that area or, or that building. To recover him as rapidly as possible, and they were doing that for days on end until finally we got uh, solid intelligence that he was taken into Pakistan um, by the uh, by Al Qaeda. So, uh, you know, they are well equipped to, to make decisions for where most Americans would be indecisive because they want 100% of the the, the intelligence picture. If you wait for 100% intelligence picture, the opportunity has already passed you
0: uh, Yeah, you can't. So, but you say they they said they practiced for days.
2: No, on on Bo Bergdahl, when he was taken, when he walked off the uh, Ford operating base, uh, they were conducting hostage rescues day and night for days, trying to recover him as rapidly as possible.
0: Oh, wow. Days of attempts. (laughs) What? Yes. Okay. So it's one thing to do that in Afghanistan, I guess. How do you do it in a more a more urban environment. I don't I don't know the difference between Af- like a, like a Afghanistan urban versus Gaza City urban, but my understanding is that Gaza City is pretty dense. So, well, that's got to be a whole I don't know what the har- I wonder what the hardest what, what what would be the hardest environment to do a hostage rescue from? Probably urban, right?
2: So you know, if you go back to World War II in the days of Way City and Vietnam, urban combat or what we call military operations on urban terrain have statistically always been higher in casualties. I mean, think about it, Mike. You stand in the middle of the street doing a 360 uh, in any major city. You're looking at thousands of windows, uh, subterranean uh, compartments. It is it is a worst case scenario. So the ability to get into an uh, urban environment versus a rural environment like the mountains is a lot more is a, is a lot more difficult from a surprise aspect, getting yeah. in there undetected, yes. uh, especially a densely populated area like Gaza, which I think from most of the statistics I've seen is anywhere from 18,000 to 21,000 people per square mile. That is people stacked on top of people. <laughs> Again, adding to the complexity of this rescue. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, so uh, listen, we've all seen zero dark 30. Um, it's one thing to fly into Pakistan, right? And be undetected, right? But how, do, how, literally, It's so as we're talking, Mike Sorelli, former Navy SEAL and Force Recon Marine and founder of the Talent War Group, it sounds more and more impossible. Is that the attitude that you think our service members are taking where it's like, guys, listen, we, this literally cannot be done. Instead, we just need to do a siege where we just starve everyone out and hopefully they give them up because this cannot happen. Or are they all sitting around the table figuring out how to make it happen?
2: So I, i've I've had the fortunate privilege of watching these uh, these men in action. Um, and I'll tell you this, they have a uh, just a way of making this seemingly impossible possible. Don't ever put it past the men of our our special operations community to find an innovative way to get something done and they've proven that over history from Vietnam, Vietnam uh, on. And especially with this force in the wake of twenty years of war, this is probably the most experienced military we've ever had so they will find a way uh Ah. americans will uh now the siege with you know sort of layered with the hostage rescues just makes this a uh, the the situation all the more unique uh i'm looking at historical context i haven't found many cases that look like this
0: Mm. how so in which ways
2: well i mean the, the look at it this way again going back to fallujah which is sort of the most contemporary uh battle or the battle of ramadi in iraq there were no hostage situations prior to uh, you know making the, uh, the or to mention the, the ground invasion so dealing with both just makes it that much more complex and all the eyes are on the area anyways which makes infiltration that much harder
0: yeah i i don't see how it's possible i, I i'm the negative nancy in the room i, I... I'm just looking at pictures of Gaza city, (laughs) like how, how can you get in there? How do you literally get into Gaza city without a Hamas terrorist on the 20th story of a building saying, Hey, everyone. Oh, and by the way, move the hostage from the the basement of that hospital to that tunnel, a hundred feet underground over underneath that school. What do you like? There's too many. There's too many. It's too big. It's too dense. It can't be done, Mike. It cannot be done. And I hate, I don't want to, I don't want to be. I was saying that, right? I, 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 I'm the guy like, mock, I'm not making fun of our military. I just, it's an impossible task.
2: People said the same thing about D-Day. And, and again, our American uh, men, our boys uh, always, always find a way. But, you know, Mike, I think the most contemporary, uh, you know, example uh, of a uh, modern battle. And, and I, I brought it up earlier is the Battle of Fallujah. You know, I believe, is one-eighth the size of Gaza, uh, similar to what they're doing in Gaza. They told the citizens to get out. They had one month's uh, time. It took American forces six weeks to clear that area, which was not nearly as dense as Gaza. Uh, and it, Yeah, six weeks and 100 American lives. Mm-hmm. So it, it can be done uh, with urban combat. You may be in one position, not even moving an inch for hours, uh, trying to fight the enemy back when you finally do. You know, you move forward, and and that just goes on and on until the entire area is cleared. Uh, But again, as as we discussed, the complexity of doing a sort of incursion, uh, a ground offensive, paired with the uh, the hostage, that actually adds complications, but again, our guys deal with complications well.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the six weeks. It's it's so ridiculous that I keep falling for this over and over. I, I keep thinking that war, or I fall into this trap of thinking that everything, but war in particular, it's like a video game. Where it's, uh, so the attack happens, whatever, last Saturday. And uh, it's like, oh, uh, AABB up, down, left, right. And we launched some missiles and Gaza City's destroyed and Israel wins. And it's over on Tuesday. It's like, no. <laughs> like, like, here I am saying, geez, guys, it's taken a week and a half already. And you haven't done the ground invasion yet. What's taken so long? It's like, no, you idiot. Like, Slater, you have no idea what you're talking about. This is a very complicated task that will take a long time right i mean like I, I can't even fathom the the variables at play but this is real it's not a video game and there's american lives at risk right now well assuming america's evolved will will, will the navy seals be involved with this
2: uh, you know i i can't say we we know the idf is going forward uh, There are our allies um but uh again this this style of combat urban combat um just expect the casualties to be yes. high yes. On, on both sides, especially the other side.
0: All right, my last question for you, Mike, and I'll let you go. Um, what about the telling everyone to leave? What do you make of that? Dropping pamphlets and all the rest saying, hey, you guys got 24 hours to leave, and that was like four or five days ago, and I, I reckon there's not even many people in the northern Gaza Strip right now. So I don't know what good that does of giving people, giving the enemy so much warning, because I'm sure Hamas terrorists have also evacuated to the Southern Gaza Strip and pretending to be, you know, civilians. So what's the play there? Why do that?
2: So it's not that Israel's, you know, dumb by any means. Uh, What they're doing is following the, the laws of armed conflict or known as IHL, international humanitarian laws. Yeah, it looks like they're tipping their hand and saying, oh, hey, here we come. But, you no, know, what they're trying to do is get as many uh, non-combatants to vacate the area. And what I've read is that uh, up to one million uh, Palestinians or Gaza citizens have uh, have gotten out of the area. So, you know, Israel wants to safeguard lives. They understand that Hamas does not represent all Palestinians. And one of the pillars of, of the laws of war is distinction, the ability to distinguish between non-combatants and civilians. And again, because they're a professional army, uh, because they're driven by values, uh, they want to safeguard those non-combatants. And the ability, you know, when you go in there, it's very hard to distinguish between a non-uniformed soldier and a civilian. And having just that many civilians in the location makes it that much more complex. So to get them out of the area, uh, not only age you in the ability to distinguish uh, enemy from friend, uh, but also to safeguard as many human lives as possible. And God bless them for that.
0: What if only one side has to follow that distinction law of war?
2: That was pretty much the last 20 years that we've, we've fought. And again, that's what distinguishes us from them. You know, Islamic terrorism, one, it starts with Iran, which is a problem that has to be dealt with here, uh, a state sponsor of terrorism since 1984. Um, but you cannot have a conversation with an irrational, irrational uh, actor whose sole purpose is to eradicate Israel and Jews from the face of the earth. So with this, and even Netanyahu said it, they need to exterminate Hamas uh, so that the moderate uh, people from both sides can have a, a conversation, a negotiation, to figure out what this looks like going moving, down, moving yeah. forward.
0: What do you do when Hamas is hiding in the basement of a hospital? I, I don't know. Mike, anything else we need to you know? Parting thoughts, anything else we need to keep in mind, think about as uh, these things unfold?
2: No, Mike, you just said it. Uh, They deliberately hide within churches, hospitals, schools, so that they know the Israelis will eventually strike, and then when that happens, they use that as propaganda to say, look, Israel is killing civilians, when Israel is given no other choice. It's almost like these videos that just came out uh, showing how well they're taking care of hostages, yet on October 7th, they murdered, mutilated, tortured, and killed uh, Jews. nobody cares how you're taking care of, taking care of the hostages after you've you know, perpetrated such egregences uh, against
0: them. Yeah, you killed their friends and family and then raped, I'm sure, surely raped the hostages. And then you make a video and be like, oh, look, they we're, were treating them great. <laughs> Give me a break. You just destroyed their lives. Uh, so nice, nice try, guys. Um, Mike Sorelli, yeah. former Navy SEAL, Force Recon Marine, Talent War Group. Find him on the Twitter. Uh, Mike, thank you for your service, and I hope we can talk again. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, brother. Uh, A-R-A-I-L-L-E. That's how he spells the name. Mike M-J is the Twitter. M-J-S-A-R-A-I-L-L-E. It's on our Twitter, Slater Radio. You can find it there. We link to him. Uh, Mike Sorelli. I am just... I don't... I'm not saying it can't be done. I don't know. What do I know? I don't think. It seems... Impo- it sure seems impossible. But... We've done impossible things. Our guys have... A, 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 one of the greatest conversations I've ever had in my entire life. I was talking to one of the guys who climbed the cliffs of pointe du hawk the days before D-Day. And point to Hawk is just it's it's impossible and and everything went wrong everything went wrong there was a storm so they landed at the base of the cliffs in the wrong place uh, by the time they hiked it over to the cliffs the, the sun was out uh everything got wet so they're they're shooting these uh, these like ladders up the top of the cliff and the the ropes were too heavy so they didn't make it so they didn't have enough ladders to get up they're climbing up, and the, the Nazis up top are just shooting machine guns down at them, just, just like straight up. And they'd made it. And they took out all the cannons on the top of the cliffs. And if they didn't do that, then there would be no D Day because the Nazis could have just bombarded uh, the, the, the rest of the boats coming in the next day. So I, it, it doesn't, and I, I remember I was talking to this guy, and he was telling a story, and it's just, it's, I'll, I'll never forget. It. And uh, I said, Have you ever been back? Never been back to Point Timoc. He said, yeah, yeah, been back. I said, what'd you do? I said, well, I went with my wife, and we walked down to the edge of the cliff. And I looked over the edge, and I said, no way did we do that. And I feel the same way with these with this mission, how, how can you possibly go into such a densely populated area with underground tunnels, uh, with 199 hostages, not knowing where they are, how do you get in undetected? How do you get out surrounded by civilian and terrorists mix in with it? I got 199 of them. And then, and here's the crazy part. Well, I don't know. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if... So I lived in San Diego for 12 years. I got some Navy SEAL friends. I don't just by nature of being there. Uh, I don't know if you join the SEALs thinking you're going to die. You know you could, right? But if you engage in a mission like this, you have to be thinking it is unlikely I'm making it out. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have to be thinking that this casualty rate is going to be high? So I don't know how you do it and that's why I think the siege is taking place and we talked about this in the first hour we won't do it again But uh, the CNN anchors saying oh, So you're telling me the plan? Let me play it for you actually the, Like the plan is to To starve the people out It's like yeah, man right, Here it is That's definitely the plan You got another plan? Because the plan we're talking about here has a lot of Americans dying, or Israelis.
1: But does does that mean, um, you say, does that mean starve the Palestinian people? Continue to, because they will be so hungry and will be so desperate for water and medicine that then they will give up Hamas? It sounds callous, but I mean, this is a war.
0: Yes, Charlie, that's called a siege. Been around for thousands of years. That's the point. You want to end it? Give up the 199 hostages.
1: I'm American made. I got American I got...
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. On tomorrow's show, we'll give you the latest on the House Speaker's vote. Senator Marsha Blackburn is going to be here. And we'll probably get Emma Jo Morris here, the uh, Breitbart politics editor, as well on tomorrow's show, too. Hope you can be there. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word.